Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling soulful. Oh, no. Really? Yes. And you don't like it when I'm feeling soulful, <laughs> do you? Why are you soulful, Rob? Because we are surrounded by soul paintings. And we're... It actually is a kind of night of the museum situation right now. We're in the height of lockdown mm -hmm. and one of the most important exhibitions pretty much ever has opened. It's happening right now. Yeah. Yes, it's opened, but the public is not allowed in, but we've been given exclusive access to come and see the show mm -hmm. early. And even the title of the show, it's called The Loneliness of the Soul. Mm -hmm. And it's two artists. One is a great friend of ours. And the other thing I'm feeling today is happy as well. Happy for our friend who's made just 100%. the most extraordinary exhibition of her career yeah. without doubt i mean we've just walked around it and i'm just blown away by the paintings Same. i think they're extraordinary Same. with her is one of her heroes and an art friend edvard munk and i mean it's also one of the coolest exhibitions ever because who the hell gets to have a show with edvard munk mm -hmm. i mean it's a major mm -hmm. major achievement mm -hmm. yeah so we would like to welcome to talk art from the royal academy <laughs> tracy, tracy we should actually say Tracy M in RA. <laughs> in the RA, RA in the RA. Tracy M in C B E R A. Exactly. C B E R A. We love a C B E. So you are uh, the first talk art guest that's come on twice. Yes, I did point that out to you earlier. You <laughs> haven't realised yet. <laughs> Which is incredibly exciting. Thank you for that. So we are about to walk into your show that you are sharing with Edvard Munch, who is your hero, who you've publicly been a hero of since you were 18? Yeah, um, Munch, when I was about 18, I actually fell in love with him. He, he, I found him incredibly attractive. I found him really soulful mm -hmm. and meaningful, romantic, poetic, and, and he was just full of emotion. He wasn't just like the, a lot of the other expressionists. They kind of made work about expression, but he actually was pure expression within himself, pure emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's what I related to. How did you find him at 18? Where was you looking to oh, discover so younger him? younger than that. I was 17. I was, in, I was looking at a book on expressionism, uh, looking at, uh, for Egon Schiele, and there was Monk right by his side. Munk, Oshka Kokoschka, Kate Kolwitz, like the whole gang. Right. Mm. I had found my friends. Wow. Mm. And so, you, <laughs> what does it feel like now then to be sat here at the beginning of an exhibition with your name next to his and both of your photos? 
it, it feels pretty surreal and bizarre. And I'll tell you what it really feels like. It feels like a strange dream. Yeah. It feels really surreal because I'm seeing this show. You are just about, but nobody else is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. It's like, in, and if lockdown, never, if we never come out of lockdown, it will be like, did this show ever happen? Did I just imagine it? Was it all just my, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's, or is it just wishful thinking? Like I said earlier, um, I've always wanted to have a show with Monk, and but maybe there's a cost to that. Maybe the Faustian pact was I have my show, but no one else sees it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm so happy with the show and that I've managed to against adversity, managed to get it up on the walls and see my work alongside his. It's is is it's an achievement in a lifetime. It's fantastic. So I'm so very it's been, happy. It's been planned most of your life, but how long have you actually had it conceived? Has it been like two, three years in the in the works? Or yeah, we've been going. Harry and I have been going backwards and forwards to Oslo to the Munch Museum and had full access to the Munch archive, which wow. has been really fantastic. So we've been, um, you know, from everything from going to his house to looking for his possessions to looking at thousands of watercolors and works on paper. So- hundreds and hundreds of paintings i mean over a period of two days once or three days we looked at 800 paintings no monk paintings yeah so it was it's been a really privileged position to be in it ha- hasn't just been about me having a show with monk it's about me having full access to my favorite artist of mm. all time so you know i wish in a way that i'd sort of done a thesis at the same time or, or written something mm. because um you know it's like once in a lifetime situation yeah but it's also the respect of the foundation that they want to be associated with you you yeah, know because well, many artists could be like i would like to do a show with monk and they'd be like well i i didn't suggest it um Ka- carrie the the curator at the monk museum she it was her suggestion she's been a fan of my work since 1997 when wow. she saw my show at the South London Gallery and she was very young then and it's always been her dream to she now is the curator at the museum wow. and and she's always loved my work so about four five years ago she came up with this idea of putting us together got in contact with me and completely bowled over and amazed to realize that I'm totally in love with Monk and have been all my life so she so, couldn't but she couldn't before you told her that, she didn't see, like, the similarities. Yes, your... she did, but she didn't know how much I did. Right, she didn't right. know, you know, I might have said I like Monk or whatever, but she didn't know what a Monk aficionado I was, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't go on Mastermind. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, Monk could be one of my subjects. Your special yeah. subject. And special also, subject. I remember when Monk. you went to Norway on one of the first trips and you you had photographs that you showed me on your phone of, like, his bedroom and his bed and, like, his house that you went to visit. Well, I've actually been there to his little house twice. Right. Um, the first time was in 1998 when I made a documentary um, called uh, uh, The Shock of Art and it was about Monk's Scream. And, um, yeah, and I went to Monk's little house then. And my favourite moment of that was realising that Monk had a telephone. And up until that point, I'd never really put Monk into the 20th century. Mm. In my head, he was yeah. this romantic figure, you know, in, in the landscape with, with, and naked figures and everything. But actually, Monk's people do wear clothes, they drive cars, they, they eat food, you mm. know, they're, they're real people. And Monk used the telephone. And I remember picking up the telephone sitting on his bed and picking up the telephone and saying, hello, you are Edvard Munch here. 
Yeah, because he died in post-war, didn't he, 1944. Yeah. Right. Which I found really surprising the other day yeah. when I saw that. I was yeah, like, so he lived, it's not he long lived, ago. He lived, no, it's not that long ago, yeah. and he lived most yeah. of the 20th century. Yeah. And people don't associate Munch You associate with him with Van Gogh, don't you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You associate him with the 19th century. Yeah. Exactly. And what I'm hoping, this, um, I'll tell you one thing that's incredible with, with his paintings. When they were being um, um, checked, you know, con- uh, conserver was... was uh, conservation um, Yeah, conservation yeah. check-in. Um, and they took the frames off, the gold frames and the brown wooden frames and everything. They have a, a, a metal frame around them, the same as my paintings. And, wow. oh, my God, they look so contemporary. They look like they were just painted yesterday. The mm. paint is so fresh. It's so wild. Mm. It's so free. He, he had none of the restraints that a lot of other people had at that time. He was very... And his colours as well were so contemporary. Mm. Yeah. He, he was a massive paint buyer. He used to go across the border to Sweden constantly to buy paint and try and get the latest colours. And if you look at some of his watercolours, it's kind of like lime green and day glow colours and everything. Mm. This would have been like using a hologram at the time or something. Mm. It would have looked so wild. Mm. Wow. So they were tray frames, like you framed yours, and you didn't yeah. discover it until you hung this show that he... No, no but I'd seen them in the museum, but I'd right. never... never. Or no, actually, in the museum, in the, in the racks, they were all different kinds of frames, right. big gold Baroque frames, wouldn't be. But here, every single one of Monk's paintings has a protection, yeah. tray frame. And, um, and of course, when I... To see it in the in this situation next to my paintings in the galleries, everything it was yeah. like, wow! I said, God, can't we leave them without the frames? <laughs> it would be so fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, when, so. when did you make the film in the nineties? Was that the same trip? Because didn't you do the film actually on his jetty? That 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 film I made yeah in nineteen ninety eight. I was with the with the I think I was with was I with Channel Four or BBC. I can't remember. But I thought, I'll make the most of this. I'll get that sound man up in the morning and I'll get that cameraman up really early in the morning. I'll make my own little film. And I did. I made a, a tiny Super 8 film called Homage to Edvard Munch and All My Dead Children. Yeah. And this is on the jetty where we see the screen painting, right? Is that the bridge no, or is it...? No, the jetty, the jetty um, by his house is where he made a lot of paintings and images and things, but that's not where the screen was. The screen was made... The screen, actually, was made not so far where the new, from where the new Monk Museum is. Right. Yeah, so. looking out to the fields. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Shall we head go in, in then? Yes. So we're going to head in now. We're going to go past the picture of you, which is actually one of your insomnia portraits, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I chose it because I thought it was very, very monkey-looking. <laughs> it is very. So... Well, he, the, and the photograph you've chosen of Edvard also, he looks quite like half asleep, half awake in this picture as well. He like suffered he's... from really terrible insomnia. Did he? Yeah. So, so he looks kind of... But also, I think he... I think also he liked... I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think he liked to, to smoke certain things. I think right. he might have liked a bit of opium and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think he was, he was open to things, but I don't... Do you know what? I've never read this, but I just presume it from looking at his work, work and reading yeah. his writing and his, his, just how he was with everything. And he loved drinking. He was a big drinker. Wow. So, um, you know, he looks kind of slightly, looks really, God, he looks pretty sexy. He looks yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, and this so, look is a selfie. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had the latest cameras. He had wow. every. He, he, and this is another thing, you know, he really loved and embraced technology. He was the first person to have a Ford motor car, one of the first people to have a telephone, as I said. He, and he loved the latest gadgets, cameras, everything. So, so the reason why I'm talking about that is Monk isn't like this Van Gogh type, yeah, yeah. Van Gogh type person yeah. from the past century he was a very forward-thinking person for the 20th century he's also his political views were really outstandingly fantastic in terms of being a humanitarian Uh he was like top of his field on that really brilliant um he um helped lots of refugees he 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 financed he helped jewish refugees cross the borders Mm he 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 it made his land full of food and everything and vegetables for refugees to eat. He was um, he was very much for um, workers' people, rights right, yeah. and, and everything. So he was Labour. He was a Labour supporter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Some, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is he was a really good humanitarian in mm. a time when actually fascism, fascism was really in the forefront of being successful at that time mm. in Norway would be would be something having a fascist. Mentality. Or well, he just... was in the degenerate show that Hitler put yes, on. Yes, and, 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 and he swore that he would never go back to Germany. He had a really fantastic career in Berlin, and he swore that he would never go back again, and he mm. didn't. He, he just found it really abhorrent and really disgusting. And he fell out, not fell out, but he, he stopped being friends with a number of people who he regarded as great artists or musicians or whatever, or poets. Mm. He, he kept his distance from them forever. Because of their political beliefs. Yeah, and right. also with others in Norway. I think that's something that I've learnt from just walking around your show today is the connection to from your work to his work of oh, empathy. the parallels, yeah. Yeah, but also the, the empathy of it and yeah. this kind of like humanity of it. It's exactly what you're saying. You know, you, you feel that in the work. And I, I, I found that surprising because my idea of Monk was this kind of not, 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 not what I'm seeing in this okay, show. Okay, so actually. for example, a lot of Monk's work now, if, we, if, we, if it was going to be shown in, in um, certain states in America... Would be wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, because he's he's talking about abortion. He's talking about all kinds of nature of things that wouldn't be allowed in certain states in America or allowed to be hung on walls. You know, yeah. people would be complaining about it. And it is really strange that you, when you see something which is about purely about emotion, mm. purely about feelings, you think, how can this align itself with any political? agenda but of course it did back it back in oh, yeah. ni- back in 1938 or whatever yeah. because because the nazis wouldn't allow monk's work to be shown in any public That's museum right. or anything i've got a quote that he says where something as innocent as painting should have created such a stir yeah it's and you think yeah it's like how he was always really uh shocked and also kind of excited about the reaction that his work got should we go through yeah. And in some ways, do you, do you feel that with your work? Because you have had, there is a shock to your work that you have had the sort of reaction to your work that Monk had in his lifetime. But he, there's, I feel like there's a part of you that really embraces that. No, it, uh, I'm, I'm like, I agree with Monk. How can, you know, something as innocent as painting or whatever is simple. Actually, he didn't say that. Painting is not innocent. Painting is not simple. Painting is like splitting the atom mm. completely. And, um, you know, and if, if, if you understand about the power of art and the power of painting and creativity, you know that you can, you can move mountains with it. 
And it's not about something decorative. It's not about something to match the curtains or fill a space on a wall. Mm. It's about something which came from nowhere, like a whirlwind, like a, like a hurricane, like a volcano. You know, it's like a force of nature. And that's what Monk was dealing with, mm. a force of nature. The scream, the scream isn't a tiny fetal figure screaming. Mm. The landscape is screaming. The figure is covering its ears. Mm. Well, the, the, the ever-ending scream of nature. Yeah, exactly. what he felt in yeah. that painting, yeah. Yeah, and, and Monk was so misunderstood, um, or has been so misunderstood. You think Monk makes a painting about the scream of nature, Okay, the never-ending scream of nature. And it ends up being a car key ring or a fridge magnet yeah. mm. or a cartoon mm. or a joke. Mm. There was nothing jokey about that at all. And what I really love about Monk, I call about the rena- renaissance of Monk at the moment, um, if you'd have, like, there was a really big Monk exhibition on at the Tate about, mm, I think, about eight years ago, seven mm. years ago, 25 years ago, it wouldn't have been possible necessarily for that show or 20 years ago because Monk just wasn't taken seriously. Mm. And now people are. Do you know, but why do you think, though? Because it became a key ring? No. Not, forget the key ring, Russ, right? Forget I even mentioned the key ring, please. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> okay, go on. Actually, I can tell you something really funny, really, really funny and really brilliant. The Monk Museum is so brilliant at merchandising. <laughs> right. They are it is unbelievable. And me and Harry, one of our favourite monk items of, um, that you can buy in this shop is monk fi- nail files. No way. With the scream on. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point. But is that why you feel like he wouldn't, wasn't taken seriously for so long? Because it became too popular. Well, it was just everywhere. Commercial, like a commercial, like a t-shirt. I, I've, re- I've read a critic say, though, that even th- e- even though that had happened, and in spite of that kind of mainstream popularity of that image, when you actually sit in front of the painting, yeah. it still is deadly, like it hits you, you yeah, know, right between the eyes. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. so striking. It's arresting. They're always yeah. arresting, aren't they? Yeah, but anyway, I, I shouldn't have... I'm not, I'm not put, obviously, not deriding Monk by talking about the nail files, because actually it's just so funny, because the sound of it when you file your nails or whatever... Mm. Oh, it screams. And the, it, yeah, exactly. It's that makes your teeth go on edge, yeah. Right. So uh, they should make some chalk to go on a blackboard oh, or God. something. I think they do, actually. But anyway, so, so what I'm saying is that... So from the, being this profound, poetic, you know, serious thinker, dealing with these, you know, these really heavy things in life, jealousy, fear, death, everything, you know, mm, mm. he suddenly becomes like an, a nail file or a, a key ring mm, or whatever. Mm. And, um, and this is why I have made sure after my death, I will not become a nail file or a key ring. Mm. Stop it. Yeah, it's got to be stopped. Yeah. Right. So we're now sat in front, stood in front of your painting which both of us remember from the Venice Biennale yes and also I feel like maybe even at White Cube at one point yes I've definitely or maybe it was in the Royal Academy I've but seen I it twice I remember talking to you about this specific painting it's called Ruined from 2007 and as you walk into the exhibition it's leg spread uh, painting with tin at the top just the word tin and I remember talking to you about this and this was meant to be a longer word and you were so happy with what it said (laughs) that you kept it as is so I did a series of paintings in what was in my baby studio in about 
2004, actually, and I I did these big purple, like these these um, purple vagina paintings, mm. like, and they were called. Um, uh, pur- purple virgins which mm-hmm. I have and, one of, yeah. got one of those. <laughs> and I did loads of drawings on paper and I did load these these I did like about 10 big canvases and a lot of them were painted over and got got rid of completely and I kept a couple and this was the only one that I carried on doing more color and more paint and everything mm. and I loved it and till this day it's still one of my best paintings and I'll tell you where you've seen it you've seen it um, at the You've seen it in Venice, yes. and you've seen it in the Royal Academy Summer Show when I curated a room in 2008. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. And and what was really great was that the critics really slagged it off in in um, in in Venice. Yes. And then they really <laughs> praised it. And one of them even said, "If only she'd done paintings like this oh, when she so represented funny. Britain in Venice." And it was like a year later, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so would you know what? There's a critic then that said of Edvard Munch's work that a fair number of these pictures have been exhibited before. In my opinion, these improve with acquaintance. So that's kind of like the, the critic would have seen this before and been like, hmm, sat with it, seen it no, again. No, 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 he didn't even realise it was just, they didn't even realise it's the same painting, they didn't even realise they'd seen it before. But anyway, no, I don't want to sound like Sarah Grapes because what happens is when, when paintings move into a different context, yeah. um, you know, you have a different relationship with a more different feeling. Mm. So that's what happened with this painting. And then the other place that you've seen this painting was in Chateau Lacoste. Yes. When I showed 10 years of painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just remembered that. Yeah, so yeah. This, this, this painting's really psychologically charged. Can you remember making this work? Can you can actually put yourself in that mindset of when you were creating this? I remember being really happy when I'd stopped myself from writing the full word on the top, which everyone says to me, Tin, why did you write Tin on this painting? <laughs> and it looks so perfect. It's yeah. so brilliant unlike the word I was going to put, which is one of my favourite words in the whole world, which is tiny. Mm. There is nothing tiny about that vagina in that no. painting. It's like a beast. Mm-hmm. That's so the centre of the earth. Yeah, That's it like, is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cavernous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a cave. It's yeah. like, you know, it will swallow you up whole. It was, it's like a sort of weird landscape, actually. It's a tunnel, and as you're coming into the show, you're drawn into... I wouldn't say tunnel, Russ. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not... <laughs> Could be. <laughs> no, can we like can yeah, we, yeah let's, let's move. move on right let's just move on thanks harry so um yeah so as we move through the room there are three further paintings by tracy yes which are more recent from the last few years um, yes well they're, they're 2015 this, oh, okay. this is 2015 this is 20... That's 2018 this one here i never asked to fall in love you made me feel like this 2018 Was that 2018? No, Freeze New York was 2017. That was the last time we were there. But it's only 20 now, so that would be only two years ago. It's nearly 21. Oh, yeah, because we're... November oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, because yes, it would have been May, yes. wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? They got the date wrong. But mm. this is so charged. This one yeah. is so psychological. Well, there's a monk painting that I actually, it was annoying. I couldn't get hold of it. I nearly got it, and then I didn't get it because right. the monk museum wanted to show it. And it's it's this figure of this girl sitting down with her, uh, with her legs sort of... Sp- 
her knees together and her 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 calves out either side and she's and she looks she's crying and it's all red this painting it's and it's the same colors as this painting even though my figure is completely different some people don't even see the figure in this painting and then when they as soon as they see it and they they you know, they can't not see it. Mm, mm, mm. Something um, that I saw in it was like a tombstone or something because it reminded me of that work. Yeah, but there is like a tombstone. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Down yeah. The and it reminded me of that work to meet my past or something yeah. from a long time ago. You made like an embroidery of a young girl. Oh, uh, no, yeah, to meet my past was like a bed, but it was weird sex. Weird sex. With, with That's the young right. girl in a cemetery. Yeah, with the young girl sitting on the gravestone. Yeah, I used to love that. Yeah. One. It's great work. So this, mm. this is really full of grief. It feels like full of grief to me and a lot of pain because obviously the bright red colors it has connotations with blood i suppose and there's like a darkness there do, do you feel like this is a a work that's exploring that kind of interior it's funny because i didn't i didn't choose the paintings in this show to represent pain or anything yeah. but now when i look at them they, there was a lot of anger or pain yeah. or and this sort of charged up emotion. It yeah. isn't silent, soft emotion. It's really quite full on and yeah. charged up energy. Yeah. yeah but, it feels like a life force to me. And it doesn't even feel sad, actually. It just feels like vital, somehow like, like screaming life or something. Like, the, even though it's red blood, which would have negative connotations. Well, I don't see it as like blood. I see it more like a volcano. Yeah. And also, there's a big heart shape in it. Can you see the heart? Yes, in the yeah. centre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, you saw a gravestone, but you didn't see the heart. I didn't see the gravestone. Ross, I saw you, well, I saw a figure, uh, topless, lying back, and then like the, the, the rain coming down, but it's... Yeah, but also white looks pretty spunky. It does look very spunky, and that's a yeah. very phallic shape coming down that's dripping white. Yeah, it is, yeah. Lovely. But, you know, I don't, when I paint, I don't sort of get my brush and say, oh, I want to do a phallic sort of white shape yeah. with something dripping. I'm just going mad. I'm just throwing the paint around and then drawing and then covering it up and then throwing a load of black on it and, and whatever. You know, I don't sit down and map out my painting. Like some people, they actually paint, they actually do everything on computer first and then they paint it up, no, read it out yeah. and paint it up on the, on the canvas. Yeah. I mean, that's like designing something. And they project it, don't they, some yeah. people and things like that. Yeah. So, so Edvard Munch was influenced by Hans Jaeger, who was his friend, who urged him to paint his own emotional and psychological state and they became his soul paintings, which feels completely aligned with your practice. It feels like what we experience when we look at your work is a very deep emotional and psychological state of Tracy Emin. And these are your soul paintings, and the word soul appears a lot in titles. You Forgot to Kiss My Soul, Exploration of the Soul. It's something that you're really constantly exploring. Yeah, it is, and I think that's the thing that you have to keep intact. So, like, you can get, you can go off, off, what's the word, off track. Yeah. You know, you can get influenced, you can get, you know, misguided, you can make mistakes, you can fuck up, all kinds of things. But if you protect your soul, you're going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. It doesn't mm. matter because that's the integral thing as an artist. Well, for me, not all artists, some artists work with other stuff. I work with the soul. That's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. That's what I thrive on. And if my soul is okay, then I can, I can work. I'm, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be all right as long as there's some honesty and some truth there. Mm. 
One of the things I was thinking about is I remember all those early paintings you made in maybe 2004 or 5 of like yellow dress and they were very small, almost like the size of two hands or something. They were quite small mm -hmm. canvases. What was it like when you finally began to work on this bigger scale? Because in this show, most of the paintings are like really ambitious yeah. paintings. Well, um, when, when, I was, but when I was at college, I, worked, I made really big paintings. It took me a long while to go from those tiny paintings and come up to these big... Mind you, I was doing big paintings back in 2000, 2000 mm. you know? And, and, but I wasn't showing them mm. at all. And, and some of those paintings I've still got, and some of them I've painted over. And one of them is painted over, and it's in this show. Oh, right. Yeah. From Which, what year was that? From... Mm, to, 2000. Right, right, I never right. knew you were painting yeah. then. Interesting. Yeah, no, but I've always been a painter. Cause yeah. I went to a College of Art and did painting. Yeah. Except, you know, I, I tried to explain to young people as well, in the 90s, it really wasn't cool to be a painter. Oh. You know, you it was like the, the end, really. It was like you were a joke. People just thought you were some kind of, like, um, sort of mis misfit, you know, and you'd, yeah. you'd, like, got it all totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And you weren't encouraged in any way whatsoever. And I just sort of put my painting aside. I'd always made drawings. And even then, there was nowhere to show drawings. No, mm. no galleries or mm -hmm. anywhere were interested in showing something you could actually, you know, look, whatever. So um, I just kept quiet about all that stuff, really. And then just... But, but still, yeah. actually, Rob, you know this, even in, the, in my... Turner Price show, I had the watercolours. Yes, the Berlin watercolours. Yeah, yeah. I always you feel like your work, even these paintings to scale, are very drawings-based. No, they're not. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Some, and these ones are more... It, even you say that, but underneath this, there's another, there's another painting. This one is quite drawing-based, but yeah. it's also about the action of the paint. It isn't about the linear line, it's mm. about how the paint is. Mm. So if we go around, I can show you some others, yeah. which are just, it's just all about paint. So for you, your emotional state is a kind of medium that you channel when you make your work. So if you're in a, whatever place you're in, that energy goes into these paintings and drawings. Yeah, it's like, it's like I, I, I sort of say it's like um, needing to get something out of your body at the yeah. right time. So on a full moon, that's usually when I want to paint. It sounds ridiculous, but it's really true. And, and sometimes I'm going, like re recently, because I haven't been well, and so I've just been in bed all the time, I'm sort of like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, I can't sleep. I'm going crazy. And then I realised there's a really big, full you know, like the other day was a beaver moon, actually. And then oh. before that was the hunter's moon. And even if I don't know it's a full moon, I, I, I find out that it is because of my emotional state. Right. So it's a bit like being a vampire or... Have werewolf. you made work on a full moon? Yeah, I've made lots of work on a full moon, and especially in France. Yeah. Because it's just perfect. It's just brilliant. A lot of these, these works, actually, maybe... I don't know, actually saying that, maybe... 50% of them were made in France, I think. Uh -huh. Yeah. So actually, I don't know, saying that. But are you aware that you're making them and then you see it's a full moon when they come out? Or are you like, it's a full moon, this is inspiring me? Well, in France, I think part of the full moon thing is because it's so light 
and so I'm not frightened. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's, there's wolves where I am and, and things, you know, and kind wild of... Wild boar. Yeah, yeah. wild boar <laughs> and whatever. And, and I think when it's full moon, it's so bright that I just feel more, more okay. Yeah. And, but I don't... It's not intentional. It's just... It just is more wild. It mm. is more... But now that I'm not drinking, I don't know exactly how wild anything's going to be again, really. But so. your, next, your next show at White Cube is titled After the Moon, isn't it? Under the Hunter's Moon. Yes. My next, my next show during lockdown... <laughs> you have three shows on at the minute. I mean, you have three <laughs> living under... I know, but I have three shows on during lockdown. Wow. I've got Xavier Hufkins in Brussels, which is open at the moment, lockdown. One of the biggest shows I've done in my life, Tracy M in Edward Monk Royal Academy lockdown and then i've got living under the hunter's moon at mason's yard opening in two weeks lockdown yeah how many people can have three shows on during lockdown <laughs> no one's going to get to see yeah. <laughs> no one's going to get to see i mean it isn't funny but it is um because at least we're here seeing it yeah. so. I know, but carl said to me that you were talking on the phone the other day and that you'd installed it as quickly as you could and that partly it was really brilliant for you just to be able to see the show yourself and I was really happy for you that you that it exists you know as well, a show yeah I mean if you said to any artist any artist okay we're going to give you one of the most beautiful spaces to show in in London you know mm. really exquisite beautiful gem of a place the Royal Academy of Art and you can choose your favorite artist of all time and you can actually spend four years studying their work and choosing the work you want to show you can come up with a title yourself you can curate it all yourself you know i mean what an opportunity and then they say but there's one one snag no one else will see it yeah you'd still do it wouldn't you oh 100 percent. yeah you'd still do it it's like a falcian pack it's like it's like everything everything it's like a what what did you say falcian Falcian pack what is that well russ it's like um you you gain something but you lose something you make a pact with the devil essentially that's what it that's what it is right so you've gained having this experience, but you've lost other people seeing it? Yeah. And for people to see your work, that's, that's, you make work for yourself, but also you're, you want people to experience. Look, I, I, you know, I actually think, first of all, the artist makes work for themselves. Yeah. And then after that, for the rest of the world. But I always talk about the Turin Shroud complex. That the, with the Turin Shroud, the Turin Shroud would not be the Turin Shroud unless millions and millions and millions of people went and saw it. Yeah. It would just be a bit of a cloth with a stain on it. Yeah. But people see the face of Jesus in that shroud, and that's what makes it so special. And this is what makes the Mona Lisa special. This is what makes any artwork special. The amount of gaze put upon it by yeah. other people. Mm. You think people stare and stare and stare at something. Yeah. That stare has to remain. Part of it has to stay embedded in those canvases and in those works. And right now, with what's happening in the world, not just with COVID, but many, many other things, like this extreme drifting, to, not even drifting, charging towards this extreme right-wing fascist way of thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, those of us that don't want to think like that and don't want to be like that, we need, we need the human touch. We need the artist hand. We need, um, uh, we humanity. need humanity and emotion. Mm. We really empathy. need it. Empathy. Yep. Yes, exactly. Now more than ever yep. in our lives. Yep. 
I, I actually feel that from this um, series of work that you selected, which are works on paper by yeah, the ten watercolors. And I thought it was really interesting that you see them in the beginning of the show, because when you think you're coming into a museum show with Evard Monk and Tracy Emin, you kind of think you're going to see all the big hit paintings. Do you know what I mean? Like straight away. Yeah. But I like the subtlety of this and the kind of the way we have to like walk up to them and really experience them. It's the essential. The way that Edvard Munch paints or draws it's always the essential and they always feel incomplete but for him they were complete because they're the essence of what he was trying to do which I think again for me has parallels with your work is that sometimes they may not feel complete but they are the essential what is there whatever it is you're trying to express but it, it what's really nice about this is this I call it a cloud hang mm. is you never see Edward Munch's work hung like this That's you'll see true. you'll see it very formal and you'll see it all like you know uh, you know like postage stamps across the wall yeah. like yeah. marching across the wall all at noddy dog height you know all yeah. the same and to see them like this is is a really spoiled thing it's like a spoiled amount of energy you never see monks like this well, you're mm. breaking the rules yeah. of how we're supposed to look at these yeah. or how we've been told to look at these yeah. works yeah. and I, I've hung them how I would hang my work maybe in a cloud you yeah. know and what I could have done was just had one two monks on a wall yeah. you know at, at eye level height yeah. and, and people then would have felt that they, this was you know they, they wouldn't have been seeing it how I want them to see it mm, I want them right. to feel luxuriated I want them to feel swamped I want them to feel spoiled I want them to feel indulged by his work and contemporary the way you're hanging it makes it more accessible and it doesn't put it on this massive hierarchy yeah, you're aligning it with contemporary yeah, well, when, Monk, when Monk died in his house they found in his house in drawers they found over 500 uh no, 5,000 works on paper wow. all over the place. And there was over 500 paintings. You know, he was so prolific. He worked so hard. It was so amazing that this is a nice thing to, to understand what Monk's energy was about too. Mm. Well, his, his work is uh, been described as a voluntary, uh, a voluntary confession, which that feels like what you're work is you're making a, a confession voluntarily of yourself of your like, attempt to explain to yourself your like your relationship to life well i i think when because i'm just spend all my time making paintings and sculpture i still do neons because i still write all the time but just really painting alone you know in my studio i i only have three people in my studio and just work with harry now all the time We've got wherever we travel or whatever we do. But mm. I'm just saying that I haven't made any work for four months, five months because I've mm. been ill. Mm. But, you know, people think, oh, well, how can Tracy Emin paint when her work's all about confession or how this or that or whatever? But, God, I can do a really hardcore painting mm. in a way in which you've never seen before mm. that actually isn't that palatable, that isn't that easy, that does make you think about life, that does make you think about things differently. Mm. Because also I have a voice. Mm -hmm. So well, you have an you have an interior voice that you express, but you have an exterior like voice as well yeah. when it comes to your writing and it comes to like the text. Yeah, well, being an artist is a twenty-four hour thing, seven days a week for the, your whole life. It's not nine to six or whatever. And anyone that, for me, that does treat art like that, they're not an artist in my eyes. How I work yeah. or my way. It's not an office job, is it? Yeah. No. 
So yeah. we now stood in front of an Edvard Munch painting called um, "Sitting Nude Morning." Sitting Nude Morning from 1922 to 25. Why did you choose this particular painting? Well, it's really good. If you look behind us, you'll see this couple mm-hmm. uh, of my painting, and look at the leg, look at the mm-hmm. angle. Oh, it's yes. really, it's so, it's fantastic. It's like an echo. Yeah. But also the like space of time that's taken to paint this one he's obviously painted it left it and come back to it and there's a painting here is it this one or is it one over there that has two dates on it yeah well some some of my paintings i start and finish five years later yeah right yeah and one painting there's one painting that's 13 years later and i've got not quite a few that are seven eight years or whatever it's, it's interesting. I've yeah, got, really got some in my studio that I did 15 years ago or whatever. That's still there and waiting. That's still to be. Wait, they're waiting, yeah, because I just haven't made my mind and up. And you turn canvases around, right? Yeah, I turn them upside down. Yeah, I turn them around. I paint over them completely. At the moment, in Xavier Hufkin's show, um, there's one painting that I painted over six times completely different paintings. And the painting is so heavy. It's so heavy with all the paint. It's really thick now. But going back to the, this monk painting, it's really brilliant. Look, can you see the sink, the vanity yeah. sink? Mm. And, and oh, it's yeah. so brilliant because, and the drips all coming down yeah. and everything. And what's so fantastic about this painting is it looks like, it looks really like timeless. You, you can't tell, it could have been made 100 years ago, 50 years ago, mm. two weeks ago. And then when you see the sink, and you realise that he's put a sink in it. Mm. I mean, you don't think about Monk putting in, um, you know, bathroom sanitary wear. It's not. <laughs> Why it's, do you think he did that? <laughs> because he's a contemporary man. And also the other thing is that um, it works so well in the painting. Imagine if that wasn't there, you just have this great big gap up in that painting. It's a very good device how it works. But also he's showing that it's like... It, it, there's a sink there, they wash, there's a bowl. That, that, you know, she looks so unhappy as well. well. It looks like a bed sit or it looks like a. No, it's not. It's a, it's hotel a room. Suite. It's a, yes, it's a room with a sink in. Right. Yeah, exactly. And she looks terribly, terribly unhappy. It's also the colours, though. Like, there's a kind of like deep, deep red around her womb almost. Like, mm. yeah. I don't know, it's quite sort of. The shadowing as well. Yeah. Well, that's the aura. And he has the, an aura around her, isn't it? There's a dark aura sort of around dots her. dots on the sheet as well. It's yeah. like. Yeah, and when you start also, the other thing about Monk, what, we, what you see there is a picture, right, of a woman sitting on a bed, yeah. okay? But then if you start breaking up the paint and see how the paint works, it's really fantastic. Look at her knee. It's purple, yeah. red, green, blue, Pink, yeah. brown, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's, and there's all this kind of like abstract movement there. I mean, ja- Jasper Johns used um, Edvard Monk's wallpaper to make loads and loads of paintings. What, what was his wallpaper then? Edward Monk made this sort of like um, crisscrossy sort of like... What, commercial that he sold? No, in his paintings. Got it. Right, okay. I'll, I'll give you a good example I've in a minute. I've seen the nail file, if, right, yeah. Yes, yeah. okay, yeah. If you will me through, I'm, yeah. 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 Well, um, I notice a lot that he paints a lot of women on beds, a lot of women in baths. You were talking about the bathroom sanitary wear there. It's like <laughs> that is something that you absolutely channel into your work there's the, the bed appears a lot obviously the bed is a work that everyone will know associate with you the bed but it's like beds and baths and, yeah, and things also like that the, appear the a lot the watercolors you mentioned earlier the berlin ones were like from polaroids of you underwater 
Yeah, in, pol- in the bath. Polaroids of me in the bath with a blue face mask on. Yeah. So then when I painted them, I painted the face blue, and people would just think that's an artistic license, but actually it was the reality of the blue face. <laughs> ah. So, um, But I really like, I've been doing, actually, I'll say recently, like last year, I've been doing lots of bath pictures because yeah. because the Bonnard show, <laughs> you know, I sort of think I'm not influenced, but I'm totally influenced <laughs> by everything. Yeah. But I've been doing bath pictures all my life, you know. and Russell and owns bath, most of them. He's yeah. got a pencil bath and yeah, bath. And, and, bath <laughs> and now I've started doing lots and lots of shower paintings, which are really, wow. really good and really hard to do, but really nice. And sometimes I get the shower so good and so right. And, and then I think, right, now I've got to put the people in. Because I like the idea of two people fucking in a shower. And I've got to put them in the shower. Then I put them in the shower. Yeah. And then I've ruined the water. And, oh. then, and then, I, then I sort of turn it around the other way. And then they end up being two people in bed. And then I get rid of one of the, him or her or whatever. Yeah. And it's just one person in the bed. And it ha- then has its own journey. And then I might end up painting over the whole thing all together and starting all, o- all over again. I think of a drawing you did called Sad Shower in New York. That was a monoprint yeah. that you made yeah. years ago. Yeah. And then you talking about people fucking in the shower makes me think of David Hockney, the way that he painted water on figures. But David, the way David Hockney paints water is not the same way as me at all. But uh, all the way he drew figures, all the way he drew figures, doing anything really. But it's, it's, it's about central moment. And that is something in common. You know, one thing about David Hockney, he really knew about, he knows about passion and he paints on paint. And when he was younger, he was really, really fantastic at, at showing us, mm-hmm. almost like in an illustrative way, you go, this is passion. Mm. And you paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't turn away from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, but mine's different. Mine is much more messy. Mm-hmm. So, Which talking... actually is a good description of the painting in front of us because it's this kind of very private moment. It's a much smaller painting by you, but it's, it's got kind of red blood kind of bleeding from the figure. Um, next to a really striking neon that says, my cunt is wet with fear. And it really took me aback seeing neon in this show. I think because it is so contemporary and somehow having the neon alongside Edvard Munch's paintings and mm. your paintings, it does all feel like you're all from the same era. It's mm-hmm. just, it's really impressive. Well, um, but you know, but Munch could have made neons. Yeah. Neon's been going since about 19, 1915 or something, 1910. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have easily have made neons. Mm-hmm. Damn it, it would have been good. I wonder what he would have done. Which I did. I have made this sort of really mental neon screen, actually. But um, this neon says, My cunt is wet with fear. And it's one of the few neons. It's very small neon. And it's one of the. I've only made about three neons that are in capital letters. And this is one of them. And I like it because of what it says. And it's in capital. It's it's like it's, it's a message and it's clear. And some people go, Oh, what does that mean? And I sort of think, Oh my God! If you have to ask what that means, mm. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> you know, mm. it's but like, in, a, in a moment of fear, it can be exhilarating. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, this is the moment. I'm, you know, my whole body is afraid but excited as well. You know, yeah. it's it's not a negative state statement. It's not about being raped. It's not about anything negative. It's about being so excited about being fucked. That's what it's about. I made I made this neon in um, oh god, mm, 1990, 1998. Yep. Yeah, so it's a very quite early one. Mm-hmm. I'd only been making neons three years then. So. Wow. And then it's next to this really lovely, 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 sad, sweet picture of a monk painting of a figure curled up in a in you know in a fetal position, 
curled up, sleeping, crying. And this is how I sleep nearly all the time and exactly with my hands underneath my face like that, always. And and I really love his, the pattern on the bed cover, on the mm. quilt and everything. It's so sweet. It's, it's like blanket. a prayer position yeah. as well, like laying down prayer position. Yeah, it could be, but it's not. She's She's really... It is like she's praying, but she's also crying. There's lots of things, wishing. Is this a painting that you've been aware of for many years? No. No, because I came... I mean, I mean, I might have seen it in a book somewhere yeah. or whatever. I've got loads of books on Monk. But, you know, to actually see it for real and actually see it, you know... I mean, you might be aware of this painting, but you might think that it's it's two metres by two metres. Yeah. And then you yeah, find you out it's that it's than, actually... Yeah. yeah, it's two and a half foot by two foot, you yeah. know? Yeah. So the scale, how it's painted, everything, the viscosity of the paint, all of that kind of thing is, is new information to you. You just said you you got lots of books on Munch. Do you ever find yourself uh, looking for inspiration through the books and then finding yourself leaping up and starting to make work in that moment? No, never. Oh. My, my, my way of inspiration, which is really funny, is like in my studio, I might have like, like I might have like, okay, so this is kind of crazy. In France, I, you, you know, you get bags for life. And I got this bag with this sort of crazy cat's face on it. And it was underneath my sink in my studio. And then I did these... I was trying to paint some crucifixes at Easter. And I ended up painting these crazy cats on crucifixes. Really, really mental. And I was thinking, God, I've got to paint over them. But why, where the hell did that come from? And all the time, in my subconscious eye, which I didn't realise, I was seeing the crazy cat face underneath the sink. In the back for life. yeah. <laughs> so... This is how it happens. Or, for example, in my studio before in London, everything used to be this dark, sort of magenta red, this really thick, sort of bloody red colour. And then I've got my sofa recovered in blue velvet <laughs> and everything become blue. Every, yeah. every single painting for the next six months. I was thinking, people going, oh, you've moved from red to blue. And I was going, yeah. And they go, Oh, and you've got your sofa recovered, and it's like subconscious yeah, sort of thing. So I don't like, I don't like open go. Oh, I'm hunting for inspiration. Yeah. It, I'm not like that at all. It just happens. Or, for example, I might decide, like, I might decide that I want to do a painting of me and my mum, something like that. And I start to do the drawing for it, or the paint of it, and it turns into something completely different, mm. totally wild. And it's like one of my crucifixes that I did last year, crucifixions that I did last year, um, ended up being like these figures walking to a lake. This is, this is in Xavier's show. And, and, you know, it's bizarre because it only came about because of the, because of the crucifix. Mm. Otherwise, it never would. And talking about the crucifix, there's one here. We should go and look at yeah. that. But then saying about the periphery then, so say you're not looking directly for inspiration for the images, but then retrospectively you must then look at these images again and go, oh my God, I've painted an image, a painting that has the same sort of proportions as this painting and I didn't even realise I'd done it Yeah, well, time. no, but I mean, you know, I'm often, I've always, often, some of the best paintings have always got the golden section in. You know, I spent, when I was What's young... What's golden section? The golden section is this, like, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, a shape within a painting that makes the painting perfectly balanced. 
So, and it's to, from Renaissance. It's like it's 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 a it's the thing you learn at art school. So, or whatever. Have you, and have your paintings got the garden section? No, I don't try to put it in. But if it's in there, it's really good. It's so, like so. No. Would this have the garden section? No, that one hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I want to see what the garden section is. Well, um, the, Oh, there's one over there. A pink one has it over there. Definitely. Well, let's whatever. talk about this crucifixion, though. Yeah. This is a, this is a, a sculpture, yeah. a, a wall sculpture, actually. Yeah. It's quite unusual. In 2014. Very yeah. small scale. Yeah. It's a I, bronze with white patina. Yeah, and I absolutely love it. It's one of my favourite things, completely. And it's very simple. There's there is no crucifix, but the figure is being crucified, mm. and the figure's a woman. And I always say that when I'm making love. I feel like I'm being crucified, and then I realise I am the cross. And it's about it's about the transition of one thing to the other, of understanding that we we are we are we are we are everything. That kind of idea, and I don't mean it in a religious sense mm. at all. I mean it in a sort of metaphysical sense. And actually, spirituality... You've both gone really quiet. No, well, I'm, I'm taking in what you've just said, and I'm looking at this, and this, it's a torso, it's headless, um, and it's... There's a lot going on there. Yeah, and it's tiny. Yeah, and it's tiny. And it's got yeah, it's whole so powerful. itself, yeah. yeah. But that, that is... If, again, it's the essential, what you're showing us there is... You, you, don't, you don't need any more, do you? No. Yeah. But you knew that when you made it. You were like, oh, this is yeah, but I wasn't thinking about what I was making, was I? I was just making. It was just, a, it was just like a sort of, oh, how can I explain this? When I was younger, I used to have like a sort of gut reaction. I used, did printmaking in my degree. And I would make loads of prints. And I worked really hard. And I was always on the printing press and doing loads of monoprints. And I wouldn't be thinking about what I was doing. It was just bang, 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 bang. Mm -hmm. Print, 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 bang, 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 bang. Like, just crazy. And it would be like, I always say, it's like me just spewing yeah, everything out. Yeah. Just like, un out of control. Just and now it isn't like that. Now it's not like that. Even though I don't, I don't uh, premeditate what I'm going to do, as I said, uh, like, because I like to see things like, uh, I like to create, like going to a fortune teller. You don't want to go to a fortune teller and the fortune teller tell you what you already know. Mm. You don't. You want to be told something you don't know. So when I'm working, I want my work to tell me something I don't know. I want to be learning something from, from it yourself. and feeling something from it and discovering something. Mm -hmm. And if it's cathartic, yes. And a lot of people are very condescending. But to me, they go, oh, your work's, like, your work's cathartic. It's like, well, yeah, like I'm an artist. Mm. I feel I'm going through it. It's, it's an emotion. You know, it's not an affectation. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Do you ever get scared at what you create? Do you ever step yeah. back and go, what have I, where did yeah. that come from? Yeah. You yeah. do? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple of paintings that I've made where I've gone, what, like, where did that come from? And, and there was one painting that I did uh, a couple of, uh, three years ago. Yeah. It was like one of my usual figures, sitting, reclining, looking quite sexual, whatever. And then I kept working on it, working on it, working on it, and then the figure looked dead, absolutely dead. It looked like, a, 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 you know, the skin was dead, everything, and it looked so well painted as well. Look, and I couldn't, you know, Nas Harry, it was so good, but I couldn't, I said, it looks too dead. It's me and it looks too dead. And I had to paint over it. I had to. Do you regret that or you... No. You needed to do but that? I needed to do it. I needed to do it's it. And then, and then, And then yeah. also another time I did, there's a painting here, but this black one of the mm. three figures I love here, that, love that. Where the, she, this girl, she was topless. And when she was topless, she looked too young and too vulnerable. And, and it made me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. And so I thought, I'm just going to paint her out black. And that's when the black paint came. And I loved it. And I, I loved that her. one. This yeah. was the work I said to Russell made me think of ghosts, weirdly. I felt quite like this room was kind of, for me, some quite ghostly kind of haunting space, but also like that word spirituality, kind of spiritual. Well, it's funny you should say that because I was talking to someone the other day and I said that it was a very, I said it was like a ghost light room. Did you? And, and then also it says more solitude, yeah. the neon, and it's about like understanding what it is to be alone. Mm. So, but also, like, Edvard Munch himself lost his mother um, at a young age. I think he was five. And then his sister and a brother. And he had a lot of kind of loss in his life. Yeah, trauma. And um, I heard that he kind of believed in ghosts. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like even... Well, the aura, the no, aura but he, is a No, thing. but also he'd get really drunk as well and chase them around his house and stuff like that. And there's wow. his writings about him chasing the ghost away. But this is a brilliant story, okay? This is so good, right? It's a cold and windy night in Oslo, <laughs> right? No, um, so Harry and I were, were um, at the uh, Munk Museum in the archive. And the Munk Museum is like, all the archive is underground in a hill. It's sort of in a hill in this. And it's like going to the Bank of England or something. It's all in vaults or, and you have to, like submarine doors, you know. After you think, if one painting is worth, yeah, there's this climate control in protection. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. but not just that. No, if, uh, remember the screen got stolen, ex- whatever. Mm. But if one painting's worth like hundred million, two hundred million, and they've got like hundreds, hundreds yeah, and thousands yeah. of works there, you know. So the security is really, and so everything is really, so. When we were looking in the Monk archive at Monk's furniture and Monk's hats and Monk's paint and his clothes and everything, we were in this sort of, in this room, in the submarine door, and the doors are really heavy, like they weigh a ton. And we were looking in this box and everyone had gloves on and everything. And we took the top of the box off and then looked down and there was a hat in it and the hat moved. And we yelped, right? And then we were going, oh, my God, the hat moved, the hat moved. And it wasn't just me and Harry, it's other people saw it too. It was absolutely oh unbelievable. And then, this is really brilliant, the door closed. No. And when I, so ordinarily a door could close, not those doors. They're like, you know, they're like six 
six inches thick, you know, with a giant bit, with a giant... Yeah, it had a handle on the inside, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, but, you know, it was incredible. The door just went, oh, no way. And it can't close on its own. It can't because it doesn't move like that. It's too heavy. It's made of steel. Do you like the idea of Edvard Munch being around you, looking at your work? Well, actually, someone asked me that the other day and I, I suddenly got a bit scared. I suddenly thought, ooh, what if he didn't like it? <laughs> and he's like, how dare you? Because <laughs> yeah. I've always said that I'm going to... If my work gets shown... Harry has a list of artists that I don't want to be shown with. You're not going to tell us that list, are you? Mm, no, I'm not, no. It, it will go... These historical artists? Well, lots of artists. Just artists, full stop. Artists, oh, full stop. Yeah. It's important, though. So it's, no, it's important. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Important. Everyone listening is going to be going, who are Which those artists? artists? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be shown with. Yeah, but it, because I don't want my work to be misinterpreted or, or put in the wrong context after I'm dead. Because yeah. as an artist, context is everything. Mm. And the reason why I know that so well is because I have been in the wrong context. Like Monk with his key ring, Carl, you know, his key mm-hmm. ring and his fridge magnet. Absolutely. He's not a fridge magnet artist. He really isn't. He's really serious and really profound and really poetic and really hardcore yeah. and really sensual and really sexual and he's full mm. of fecundity. You know, he's not to be put into into uh, a tourist uh, amusement a safe and situation. Easy, yeah. yeah, he's not a populist artist either. No. And that's another thing. And for that matter, nor am I. No. So in a way, with this lockdown, as sad as it is for me, and hopefully when, when the restrictions are lifted, hopefully in December, and people can come by, people only in these rooms can 30 people at a time come by. And for me, one of the big disadvantages that I've had with my shows is normally you'd have 2,000 people in these yeah. rooms. Yeah, it's too much. And no one would see the art, and everyone's talking, and it's all and people carrying skateboards and handbags mm. and shopping and mm. God knows what else. And I don't want it to be seen like that. I need to have a bit of distance and a bit of quiet, and 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 I want people to have a bit of solitude with the work and enjoy it. I remember when I was young, going to the tape for the first time and standing in front of Rothko's pink and yellow painting and crying my eyes out, not knowing why. I had no idea why. But I felt such an emotional thing. Mm. I never thought I was ever going to see a painting like that. I, I didn't know where you could find a painting like that. I'd heard about them. And then suddenly it was this thing, you know, and it was vibrating in front of me with these colours, and I felt it. Mm. You can't feel that if you're in a room with a thousand people. It's no. not going to happen. And actually, right now, after lockdown, people are yearning to have this kind of one-on-one experience, experience with artwork. And one of the ones that really struck me walking in this, walking through the exhibition before we did the interview was this sculpture here that you've made. And it says, I whisper to my past, do I have another choice? And then on the top of this kind of... Um, stag. And the, yeah, there's, there's a stag. Lady like a, or female yeah. ca- Riding like the stag, riding the stag. Lying over its back, yeah. And it's kind of a tombstone, but it's not the tombstone shape. But it's so it's kind of something very other. But I've, I, what I liked about these sculptures, I've seen them three or four times before yeah. in different um, contexts, actually. Yeah. And this time, they are so powerful, yeah, and they no, really I, I, work. It's, it's so funny. This is the best I've ever seen them. I Me said too. That. It's really, the also the plinths it. you've chosen. They're new, I think, yeah. and they're just extraordinary. Well, actually, the plinths that really Harry chose. Harry chose these plinths. I think they're brilliant. Yeah. But I like the stillness of it. Yeah. And that idea of ghostliness, like the past and 
I don't know, I was thinking a lot about well, Margate. The shadows on them work in here, the way it's been lit as well, it has this shadow. This show has been so beautifully lit. Yeah. I said to yeah. the lighting people, it's re- I mean, this is the thing as well. Um, people can read about this show before, before, it, before they can come to it or whatever, but the atmosphere in this show is pretty incredible because yeah. it's very dimly lit. Um, you can see all the beautiful architecture within the galleries as mm-hmm. well. It's like a jewel, like, like little gems and, and jewels. You've painted the walls Prussian blue and as well. It's not Prussian blue. What blue it's is Hague it? blue. Hague. Like a Hague blue, yeah. And, and more, more of a petrol blue, Hague blue. And that's a really rare, unusual colour to paint a wall. And it was kind of like, I was scared. I thought, have I you know, gone a bit crazy? But I haven't. It's, it's really good because the paintings jump off the walls. Yeah, they I've do. never seen a show like this before. Me either. And there's a stillness to it. But at the same time, this kind of like screaming intensity. You know, it's a really mm. weird combination that is, feels new, especially for you. This feels like a first. And that's what I'm finding so extraordinary about the last few years you know, just being a friend of yours, but getting to see the evolution of your work as yeah. an artist. I feel like you're a new artist, weirdly. Well, I've, I've been working really hard, you know. I've been, I mean, I, it started with my, that's about a year sabbatical. Yes. And um, my mum dying as well, and me just being really focused and really driven and, you know, not going out really for a year, just being in France painting and really focusing on what I wanted and understanding what I could do and what I had to work towards. And now, that obviously, it, that's so important to me because I think if I didn't have that, I don't know what would, what would happen to me. I'd be pretty lost. Mm. So um, now I, I, I feel very... Um, I'm so lucky about everything, you know, and I've got something to work towards. I, I know... I can, you know, I'm really happy. This show is like a benchmark for me, you know, and then I'm going forward, which is great. I think 2021 is going to be a really good year for me. And it does feel like a beginning somehow. Yeah, it is. And also, for those that know you, even though you've been through incredible kind of personal um, anguish recently, you know, with your cancer and the operation and all of these things, you've actually been the happiest. I've ever seen you and we've maybe been friends 15 years or something yeah, I agree. and I've I enjoy so much the time we've spent together because we've had so much fun and you, you're in a really great place and I think that also somehow it, in these exhibitions now you I feel a different energy yeah well also you were saying you haven't painted for four months because of this what's happened but I'm excited to see when you start picking up she the paintbrush again, what's gonna, <laughs> what that's going to be like? Because there's a lot, a lot of these paintings through your life have been filled with a lot of angst and sadness and loneliness and longing. And now you're in a really good, like, happy, upbeat place. What's the paintings? Are we going to see rainbows? What are we, we <laughs> going to see not. now? You're not, because one of the things that I really want to do is... Um, when I go down to Margate and paint, I want to paint the darkness that I left behind. And... Before, I couldn't do that because I was in a dark space. It's too dangerous. But now that I'm not, I can take it on, can't I? You can, I can look at it now I can and look face at it, it and go, face hello, it. yeah. Hello, darkness, no, my old friend. friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go into the last no, can room. Can I just show you oh, one yeah. thing about this painting over here, which is really, really You actually brilliant. sent me that painting, and you said to me to look at it, because I got really into, like, the weeping, prints not the and printed woman, fabrics and wallpapers. Oh, did and I? And you sent me this painting, and what then I posted it? it on Instagram, and you woman. wrote to me and was like, I told you. It's <laughs> <laughs> Weeping so, Woman. So that's, yeah. Picasso named one Weeping but, Woman um, as well, didn't he? Yeah, but loads of people have had a Weeping Woman here, though. Yeah, Ross. Everyone's got a Weeping Woman. So this is really interesting, this painting, because, boys, yeah. she has no nipples. 
You should say gay boys. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. That, yeah. I wasn't going to like <laughs> differentiate boys to gay boys to men to gay men. Yeah, she's not binary. Homosexuals, oh. right? Mm-hmm. So they, right? Do you see that she has? She has no nipples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And this is really interesting because those nipples are all over that wallpaper. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's breasts and I've nipples all over the wall. Do you think that was intentional, by Yeah, totally, 100%. It, it, the man's a genius. And it's a bed. There's a bed there again. There's a bed. And also, you can see this coffin. Can you oh, see yeah, the, coffin the coffin with the figure yeah. in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The figure laying in the coffin and she's looking down. Hence, Weeping Woman. Oh, my God. Weeping Woman also has no nipples. Weeping Woman can't deliver any milk. Weeping Woman's not going to be a mother. It's good. It's really good. It's really yeah. powerful. And that was painted in 1907, again to 1909. Just took him two years to do. And um, I bet you the wallpaper was the last bit that he did. Yeah, you can kind of feel yeah. that. It still feels like he's just done it almost. Yeah, and it's so contemporary and that's so brilliant. That's what this show's teaching me, though, is that he had this kind of understanding of psychology, but, but women. Like, he seems to have this this empathy and connection. Mm. And I don't know if that's from his childhood traumas or, you know, from all the loss that he experienced. Well, but, well, but I know this, like, this sounds really crazy, but for, or for a long time, I thought he was gay. I'd really? never, never even occurred to me that he was straight. I just presumed that he was gay, totally. I never even... Because his painting of men is mm. really sensual, really sexy. But mm. also he had a dick, so he knew how to paint one. And when it come down to vaginas, and he, he, was, he was part of, like, the female body. It's almost like he would only, he was, he was kind of looking between his fingers or whatever as he painted, mm. half blindfolded or something. Mm. He wouldn't really let himself go on it. And, but I think, going back to this, look at her, uh, what I love about Monk's faces is the expression and the feeling and the emotion yeah, he rarely ever paints a full face. Faceless, yeah. yeah. And Which look again, at, and look at, can see her crying. Yeah, like. but yeah, but also look in her her brain, in yeah. her head. Yeah. It looks like a bird's nest with a tiny bird sitting in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. because people who know your work would know that you paint many faceless people figures. Yeah, but I I can't do it like he does it. I've got to work a bit harder at that. I mean, it's fantastic how he gets the emotion in with me. Because me, what I do is I paint, draw my face and then I don't want to be it, it to be necessarily me, so I get rid of me. But you're under there, you're in yeah, there. Yeah, I'm under there, I'm in there somewhere. But sometimes I draw me, but it looks like someone else, which is quite interesting. Well, recently we just made a series of work in Margate um, yes. with you, which are really striking works and... They're a series of eight, I think, editions, and they're all of your face. And when you made them, I think you'd just come down to Margate as part of your recovery. And what was that like? Because I, I was A, blown away that you sort of created this new series of work of your face, and some of them are so like you, it's almost like you're in the room with me now when I see them at the print studio. Um, and then other ones kind of reminded me of Gauguin or Monk or different you know, paintings from history. Um, what, why do you think it was that you were painting your face? Um, I think probably at that time because I didn't want to paint my body because my body was in so much pain and agony yeah. and to be really honest with you I shouldn't have been painting or drawing anything I should have been in bed yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, whatever so um, 
and, and I just think I was just trying to acknowledge, I was trying to say, I am here. Yeah. I am here. This is me. It's like when you look in a mirror and you go, this is me. I, I see myself. And I think by doing those portraits, of my, I wanted to conf- affirm that I was here in this planet. And, and some of them I looked like when I was a little girl or I something. Yeah. And then there's the other one where I looked like some sort of weird sort of like Mediterranean princess. Yeah. Or something. That's my favourite one. Yeah, yeah. And they're, yeah, they're kind of weird. And then there's one that wears only half my face. And mm. but they're they're strange but nice things. I'd like to ca- just carry on doing them. I even thought recently, this is a bit weird, right? Because I might not do it. Of painting really, really big, big faces. My wow. face, but really big. What on the big scale canvas? Yeah. Like Amazing. Yes. Well, not amazing. Might be really horrible. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> have to wait and see. But I thought, I thought, because in Margate, I've got those giant canvases, as you know, yeah. that I'm scared to touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever and put I any get... work out that you're uh, apprehensive of other people seeing? You're because every all your work is very raw and very exposing of you. Do you ever feel like I've put? I shouldn't have put this out. This feels too exposing. Um. I think the the painting in um, the painting in Rome, which you didn't see at Lorcan O'Neill's gallery, that had the had the single lonely figure that was half child, half woman, and then and then in red across it was the writing Tracy Tracy show as you can't show as you can't show as you can't Tracy Tracy show as you can't show as you can't show as you can't Tracy Tracy show as you can't show as you can't show as you can't that I was really scared to show. Because I knew it was so hardcore. And the other thing about that painting is it was really good. And I know that if I hadn't have written those words on that painting, yeah. it probably would have sold immediately. That was the other thing. The moment I know I do something like that, it's gone into another element. It's more but hardcore. It ma- it's it? hardcore, yeah. but it makes me happy because I am who I am. You know, yeah. I'm doing what I want. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But that was the that was a painting I thought, ooh. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. It actually makes me think a bit of that puberty painting that Monk did. Yes. And there's a monoprint that you made of, like, you, I think it's you masturbating in front of a mirror and a homage to Monk. And it was like a monoprint from, I'm not sure what year it was. Maybe. So glad this is recorded and not filmed. I just <laughs> blush so badly. Yes, Rob. Yes, you're right. Well, it's your work. Yes, it's I the know, title it's, of I your know, work. Right. Okay, yes. Um, what, what was it, a painting or a drawing? A drawing, a monoprint, yeah. 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 And it, it has that kind of shape of the girl yeah, in the puberty painting. One of my favourite masturbation drawings was is from about 1997, mm-hmm. and it's a picture of me. It's a monoprint. It's me sitting on the couch, and there's a rifle above my head, and the words I used to have such a good imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. I remember that. <laughs> So we're looking at a painting now by Monk. Now, what was the term you come up with? The golden experience, the golden shower. What was it, the part of the painting you just said? <laughs> what was it? You said in the other room, you said there's a... Where the, a fo- what is it? Oh, Russell. <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> so golden section. Oh, the golden section, not the golden shower. No. So is the golden, is, the go- <laughs> is the golden section in this? Yes, it is. So t- yeah. explain to me, what is the golden section? This then? is The Death of Marat, by the way, by Edvard Monk. There's a perfect symmetry and balance within the painting. You see where his hand is yeah. and where her, her crutch is. Yeah. And then the corner of the top um, uh, right, right-hand right corner 
how that comes into play just means that it's sort of perfectly balanced and kind of will ultimately give us pleasure when we look at it. So from studying art, you can recognise that in yeah. that painting. And can you recognise that in all paintings? Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah, you can And someone who's trained in art would recognise that. That's, yeah. that's yeah, but the weird thing is, the more you look at the other paintings now, you can kind of see, see them. No, I know, but I, I get a, a, like a... It's a satisfaction you get from looking at certain paintings, and I guess yeah, that is some, the balance. Yeah, but there's some artists, though, that would purposely go against that. Yeah. Mm. Like a sort of especially at the time because it would be like it's like saying the, you know the earth is flat the earth is round that kind of, the earth is flat the earth is round that kind of thing so you know but so this painting um was apparently he had his hand shot i think by his then girlfriend shot and then he began, yeah he had a gun wound right. um it was like an accident that happened i think in an argument he had with her and then he began to sort of repeatedly uh reference that but this is actually um, okay, so this it, this is really hard to talk about this painting mm. because you've got Monk being hurt and then you've got M- M- the Morat being being killed, yeah. and and it all gets complicated and confused and and interwoven. And uh, I was talking to someone about this earlier, but what what I like about this painting a lot is like look at his hand, the way it's trying to touch her, and mm. look how, how and he looks so lovely. And so warm, and just you want to just get in bed with him, really. Yeah. He's, mm. And she just looks like she doesn't give a fuck. She's just so cold. She's very cold, yeah. And and yeah, towards him, and just not. She just doesn't care. And that's painted so well. Mm. I mean, that is a hardcore painting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, just psychologically hardcore. Well, yeah. What's in there? But yeah. look at all that cross hatching yeah. in the background: the green, the blue, the browns, everything, all that pattern making, everything. But yet, when you look at the painting, you don't see a pattern. You don't see a pattern anywhere. No. You just and it's it's brilliant. You're on the figures, aren't you? Yeah. With the figures, and you feel the emotion. Yeah. You feel Psychology, the, yeah. Yeah. The and and those those patterns that, that he's done are just like these sort of interwoven manic sort of. Like mind mind maps, mm. maps of the mind, and I think I I think it's and there's so many colours in it and everything. It's it's crazy, but it's dark. When you have shows like this, where you have paintings from your career all back, brought back together into one show, does that feel like you're with old friends, or does it feel hard for you or exciting, or how do you feel about seeing all these different periods of your life back together again? Well, it's, it's interesting because um, some of them like, so you go, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing this painting. I haven't seen it for seven years. And you remember it being so different from how it is. Right. And it was quite shocking. You go, oh my God, I don't remember it being like this. Oh, it's, yeah, did I do this? Is this what I, this, this is what I've been thinking. And then after a while, you start to get to know it again. Right. And you get, you can rest with it and feel good with it. And that's happened with a few of them. But I love it as, as a show, how it's all worked together. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I just feel that it's um, really well balanced. I'm quite shocked. Do you find it hard to, to sell your work? Because um, uh, Edvard called his paintings his children and he felt like a reluctance to part with them do you feel a reluctance to part with your work um well i think the fact that i've been homeless three times in my life once when i was seven once when i was um um 16 once when i was um later when i left the royal college of art when i was 26 i think being homeless has always driven me to have a roof over my head and that roof over my head thing has got out of control really 
and I'm like a property maniac. Uh-huh. It's what I love. Uh-huh. And I love buildings, I love architecture, I love, I love, you know. And so a lot of my work I've sold to like Margate, for example, you know, eventually that's going to be a museum. Mm. And, you know, and so I sell my work to finance that project. And if I didn't make my work, I can't have that project. So it's, you know, it's like going back to this Falcian Pack thing, you know, I have, but I think now, especially after not knowing if I was going to live or not, I really feel that I have to save my work from my foundation. I have to start really collecting my work and looking after. I mean, I've got a lot, but I need to get, I want more, more of variation so that when I die, um, you know, the museum will be well stocked. <laughs> Are there any pieces you'd want to buy back that work no, cheaper? No, um, I don't want to buy work back. Um, I don't mind if someone gives it to me back. But I don't want to buy it back because the work should live, the work should breathe. The work, if the work fails in an auction, it fails in an auction. Mm-hmm. It means someone else buys it and then it will come back again yeah. and maybe do really well in 50 years' time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't like these fake cartels that boost and, and bolster artists' careers in a false or fake way. Mm-hmm. That's never happened to me and it never will happen to me. Mm-hmm. When my work sells well in an auction, it's because it did well, because the work was good. If my work slips through the net and goes unsold or goes for a low price or is in a really shitty daytime auction sale and does badly under the hammer that's what happened to the work that's part of the journey somebody mm. got a bargain somebody got something good and guess what it will be flipped again later on and the price will go up mm. that's the way it is and i and i you know implored to my gallerists not to run out and buy every work that comes up in auction and hoard it because i would rather the work be a natural naturally mm, mm, progress mm. and move that's quite so, a, a fresh attitude towards that then. That's like you're, you're in the lap of the gods, your yeah, work. You're only, sent it out there. There's only one work that I bought back, and that was my a seance table. Oh, and yeah. yeah, and I bought it back because on the, ta- on the back of the chair was Vi Player's cardigan. And Vi Player was the old lady that lived next door to us when we were little, and she was really kind to us. And this cardigan's like Jacob's multicolour dream coat. It's all big knitted woolly patches, and she knitted it, and she used to wear it all the time, and I loved it. Oh. And she gave it to me because I loved it so much. And she said to me, she said to me, but you must always look after it. And in this installation that I made of the seance table, I hung the car- Vi Player's cardigan over the back of the chair. And when I sold the work, I felt so guilty. And when it came up in auction, (laughs) I bought it. It's the most expensive cardigan I have ever bought (laughs) in all my life. (laughs) So in this final room now, um, we're sitting in front of one of my favourite paintings by you, actually. Same. Is it called? Black Cat. Black Cat. I've never seen it in person at the White Cube and being completely blown away by it. And I think this is one of the first paintings I've ever seen you collage onto. It's the only painting I've ever collaged onto, I think. And it's what's really interesting is that it's the beginning of getting rid of the faces. Yeah. Mm. So that was your face underneath yeah. this? And it's me in Venice. And and it, what is amazing with this with this dress is that they look like two big crows. Yeah, wings. And so, so it was, it was um, Harlan Miller and Irene Bradbury's uh, Edgar Allan Poe show. That's at, right, at, yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. White Cube in, in Hoxton. Hoxton Square. Yeah. Build a tunnel, I'll yeah. hide the soil. Was it that show? No, it was, it was Edgar Allan Poe show. 
I don't remember what the actual... But anyway, I call it the Edgar Allan Poe show. Yeah. And Harlan come to my studio. I was going to Australia the next day on Monday, and Harlan come to my studio on the Saturday or whatever and said, where's your painting? Where's your painting? <laughs> and I went, oh, it's here, and pulled out this painting that had a figure on her, her four knees and an arrow, penis-type arrow going up her ass, and it said, the things we must say no to. And Holland said, it's not very Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. And he said, and also he'd given us, and the other problem was with the Edgar Allan Poe show, they'd given me the story of the black cat, mm. and the last page was missing of the story, but this, I was so horrified with the story about how he stabs the cat in the eye and all this kind of stuff. It yeah. freaked me out. I was scared reading it. And But what's about this story was that the husband, he bricks his wife behind a wall, and the cat knows, and he really loves yes, the cat. Oh my God, it's so disturbing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's And he's, really, a, he's an animal lover, yeah, and yeah. as he descends into madness, he yeah, starts yeah. attacking the it, animals yeah. that love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. Really and it's about how, and that's a metaphor for how he treated his wife. Anyway, at the time, I felt so trapped and so unhappy, and probably one of the most unhappiest times in my life, really. And I did this painting over the top of the ass fucking painting, the things we say no to, should say no to. And I think it, it, I just loved it. It's just mental and mad. And the other thing as well, when the lights go out, it's got loads and loads of translucent paint on that shines in the dark. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling about this painting that it's, this is one of those paintings that I know in time it's, it sort of ages really well because yes. it already has aged so well in that short period of time, like 10 years or something. No, it's, know, more it's, than, it's more than 10 years. Oh, 15 years, is it? Oh, 2008. Eight, what is 10, that? 12, 12 in between, years. yeah. I can't, 12, yeah, I can't yeah. count. I don't know, it just it feels very alive. It also, to me, part. feels very theatrical. There's something about this, like a costume on stage that feels like there's a figure there, like an opera. And Well, it, I think that's because it's Venice. It's me, and my, yeah. it's me and my big black dress. But like the masquerade and, ball yeah, your yeah, or something like Yeah, and the mask and everything, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I feel, and, and Edvard Mook designed uh, a theatre screen yeah, for, for, for Ibsen. Ibsen, yeah. And is that, is that something you'd ever consider doing, like no, theatre? No, I did, I did a mini one about 20 years ago, got roped into it. Actually, it was, oh, maybe it was for an Ibsen play, I can't remember. Yeah. But I can't remember, it was weird. But anyway, no, I wouldn't do a, a set for a play or for opera. I've been asked lots of times, or a ballet and everything, because... I don't think I'd be very good at it. And I'd try to do my best, and I'd get really slagged off. And hey-ho, guess what? I'm not a set designer. Let the set designer design the set. Mm. That's not what I'm good at. When I was younger, I'd sort of try and make a feature film. I'd do this, I'd do that. I'd think that I could turn my hand to anything. Well, I can if I want it to be 50-50. But now, as I'm getting older and time is within the essence, I must really concentrate on what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. I haven't got time to muck around at all. So. And if people don't get to see this exhibition, there is something that's really incredible about this show and the, the show that will travel to Oslo, is that you've actually made an amazing book that I think is one of the best books you've made. I mean, it's got brilliant essays in it, one about how women, have, women artists have actually responded to Edvard Munch's work, which I read today, which I thought was brilliant. You know, people like um, Marlene Dumas and yep. Maria Lasnig yep. and 
alongside yourself and Louise Bourgeois. But I think the book is extraordinary. Wouldn't it be great, great to have a show with those women? Yes. It'd be so amazing, wouldn't it? I'd put some other names in there too. Who, yeah, who else would that you has put to in? happen. That would be so mm-hmm. good. Who else would you put in? I'd put Cecily Brown in. Mm-hmm. I'd put in um, um, Joan Mitchell. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so you go from these extremes, you know, you go, it will go, go from this, like, from Molly and with this, like, you know, clear, Figures, figurative, figurative, and then it would just get more, more, more abstracted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that has to good, happen. That's a good idea. Yeah. We're, we're looking at an incredible painting now called I Am the Last of My Kind, 2019. And on this is a, lo- is a painting of a figure. Uh, it looks like a, a biblical character because there's for me it feels like a, a, a halo around the figure but then there's text going through it, a poem and I wonder if there's any way you'd read this poem out to us yeah okay so um, can you turn me around yeah um, um, if everything you say is true then you know how much I love you you must know how afraid I am because I will believe what you say because I trust you. I wonder, I wonder if this will ever change. I don't think so. I think I'm trapped till I die. And I'm getting old now, but not as old as my broken, fucked up vagina that's so connected to my soul. The end of me, the little girl that had to grow up too fast. The part of me I so much protect is my memory. And that has made me survive. That has made me. There is no other me. I am the last of my kind. Wow. So I'll tell you something interesting about this. I painted, underneath that painting I painted like a forest. There's a forest, like this red lines that look like trees, that like a forest. So I thought, oh, that's kind of pretty monkey. Mm. I might, I want to keep the forest. And then I wanted to paint a figure in the forest. So I drew this figure coming out of the forest, but it looked really crap. So then I painted over the figure in white, and then I painted over the figure in pink. And then I painted some of the lines back in of the figure and then I gave her a halo. And then I got really drunk and then wrote that writing. And that wasn't planned, that writing, it just no, came out of you? it just came out of me and it fitted almost perfectly. Mm. And that's why it's all so drippy and everything. And then my idea was, I thought, oh, then I'll just paint over the whole thing tomorrow. But luckily I didn't, I kept it, I love it. That's incredible. But it's like a real, it's almost like a sort of poltergeist or something, mm. you know, like the energy or the words coming out mm-hmm. of me. It's like I didn't have any control over it. And this is what I love about painting. This is what I love, this sort of like, this energy where it comes from, from you know, the, from the belly of the beast, you know, the depths of the soul. It isn't contrived. It's it primal. Isn't planned. Your work it's, is yeah. primal. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and admitting that, means that I'm on I'm talking on a sort of baseline of things but I don't care yeah part of me is an animal and I spent nearly all my life trying not to be an animal 
trying to fight off the animal. I want, I want, but I don't necessarily want to be human either. So, you know, I like this strange place, this twilight zone of, of art and making and creativity and spirituality and going into a sort of void, into this, like, you know, different place. I love the interior. It. Yeah, the interior of my mind and my soul, digging stuff up. And, and this is what's going to happen in Margate, because I have a lot to dig up, and there is a lot of room for me to leave a painting unfinished, to just move on to the next canvas, move on to the next canvas, then go back and see what it's given me and see what I'm left with. Mm. Whereas now I sort of do this crazy thing where I paint over everything all the time. Some paint, I've said, you know, some paintings, four or five or six paintings underneath which is a shame, it would be nice. And then I'd go back to them years later and go, actually, that's better, That's te even if it's a crappy painting, yeah. I go, that is telling me something I didn't know. Mm -hmm. This is interesting for mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. not for someone else, not to sell, not for a museum, for me. And that takes me on to something I wanted to ask you about, which is, um, I heard you in a recent interview talk about the show at White Cube last time and how well received it was with the media and with critics and the public, because there was huge adoration for that show, because it was a landmark show. A and, fortnight of um, tears. It was an amazing show. But um, I heard that you yourself felt quite hollow, and even though you had that, what, 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 what looks like success, you know, to the rest of the world, it didn't feel necessarily right to you, like, as a person deep inside. But when I look at this show, I feel I'm really intrigued to see whether you feel like this is a success for you. Um, I think if the 16,000 people had been queuing up to come in the door mm. I might have felt the same as I did with the White Cube show right. but the fact that I can have this all to myself <laughs> mm. and think about it and enjoy it and work out who I am and and it's a benchmark for me and I feel better about it and especially after being so ill yeah. you know like and anyone that doesn't know that I've been ill I've had really bad cancer so um, I, want time, I want some time, oh, please God, give me some time. This is beautiful time that I can have on my own, looking at my work and really enjoying it. And as much as I would love all the other people to come and see it, <laughs> I've got to say, I'm enjoying it myself. And, I'm, and I deserve it, it's Absolutely. lovely. So, um, and I think what happened with my white, the success of my white cube show, like 80,000 people went, mm. is that um, I lost my show. I lost my work to them. It, they took it away from me. And it sounds over romantic and silly, but I laid in bed and, and I just felt so ill. And I felt, mind you, I probably was. Yeah, you probably <laughs> I were. just didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah what's wrong with me? And you, you were also <laughs> yeah. heavily in grief at that point, which I think yeah. Yeah, I later still, did lift a bit. But I, I yeah, think I was still grieving. I still, even though it was really successful to show, um, I was still grieving for my mum and everything. Yeah. You know, it takes a long time to get over. Like Monk never got over his mum dying. You never get over your mum dying. No, ever because you only have one, and yeah. and it's it's a strange thing. And I love my mum. You know, and. I didn't spend enough time with my mom too, so that was annoying. And then when she left and abandoned me, this goes back to Monk. Monk suffered from abandonment issues throughout his whole life. And I think with me, because my mum left us when we were little a couple of times, and my dad left us and wasn't there. Mm. And for me, the abandonment issues are pretty heavy and pretty dire. So I need to be reassured constantly, especially with emotion and affection and everything. And I think what happened with the White Cube show, it was so successful, there was so much adoration, it was so well received, and I was completely alone. 
I felt so alone. Mm. I never felt, I, I felt so, the only other place I've ever felt so more lonely is New York, right? Strange city. And, and to feel that kind of loneliness when you should be feeling really high. And, and I know it's like didums, like get over it. Mm-hmm. But like get over a really bad mental kind of reaction to something which sends you into a downward spiral of depression, which really, really feels like it's going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, you can't tell someone to just get over that. It's, 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 and it doesn't matter how successful I am or anybody is. Everybody has their cross to bear. Mm. And people should be more generous and more kind and more understanding about mm. those situations. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So. I, I was thinking a lot about um, Edvard Munch as well when he was a kid, how he turned to art and to drawing, because apparently he was a prolific drawer as a child. Were you like that as a kid then? Were you drawing? No. No. I was, well, actually, I was from about the age of 13. Okay. But when I was very little i was used to make things all the time i used to make dolls houses out of cardboard i would make i would create and make things and 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 it wasn't just because we didn't have much money i really enjoyed it i made shoes out of raffia raffia placemats i made like i was always inventing things and making and then i go me and my friend maria would go and see if they're waterproof and jump in puddles and stuff and and also at the back of my house where the old hotel was, we lo- there was loads of chalets and garages and loads, and in the hotel was loads of old furniture. So we used to drag the old furniture out and make lots of houses and camps and different things and always moving and rearranging well, like furniture. Little dens for yourself. Dens, exactly. Yeah. And that was my way of playing and, and being creative. So mm. there's a kind of strange thing. I was making stuff and making space and everything, but I wasn't, and I used to sew all the time, crochet, sew, knit. So that goes back to my earlier work with all the sewing and all the applique the blankets, and everything. Yeah. But I only really, really, really got into painting, painting and art when I was like 13 or 14, something like that. Mm. When I stopped going to school, and then I stopped going to school when I was um, 14, 13, 13, 14, yeah. yeah. And when I was 15, I had to go back by law. Otherwise, my mum, social services would get involved and everything. My mum would get in trouble. My mum wasn't at home. So we were having to send ourselves to school, right? And of course, you're not going to go to school, are you? But once I knew that my mum would get in trouble if we did, I I went. And I had to do three days a week at school. Um, Not five, but I had to do the majority of time at school. And because I'd missed so many classes and everything... um, Mr. J, who was like an old hippie, and Mrs. Morris, who wasn't an old hippie, but she was like really good, the art teachers, they just kept me in the art room the whole time. And it was just brilliant. I just excelled. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and now art isn't taught on the school curriculum. It's, I find so what, it offensive. How, yeah, yeah, look how successful I've been. What happens to me? What would have happened to me? If they hadn't had that yeah, access, if we, yeah. Yeah. So, and my old school, King Ethelworks, has got an amazing, amazing, amazing art department. You know, really fantastic. And I keep, I keep saying, I actually wrote to prime ministers. I wrote to all of them, and David Cameron, all of them, saying, "You've got to bring it back, and you don't do this. There'll be riots in the streets." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take the arts away. Yeah. Hmm. No. And also, it's such a massive export for the world. I feel like so, so many, we've got so many successful British, you know, talented people. Culture. Like, I don't, what, yeah. I don't, it's insane. Under, I don't understand 
um, how people don't take culture seriously, yeah. Yeah. especially this government at the moment. I do not understand agreed, it. Agreed. Every single thing you touch, you look at, has been designed, uh, worked on, uh, invented, um, created, drawn, yep. whatever. Every every single thing, the jumper you're wearing, yep. you know, everything. Mm -mm -mm. What are you thinking of COVID, right? What everyone turned to is art. Yeah. That's culture. What do they turn yeah. to? They watch movies, they read yeah, books, they exactly. watch TV, they look to art. Yeah. That's what we do as humans, is that we connect with each other through our art. That's our stories. That's what's left behind in the end, is the art. And also, I remember I cried in front of you not long ago, maybe a year ago or something, and you said to me, to sort of calm me down, and you said to me, um, art will never leave you. You said, art has always been there for you, Rob. And... Mm you've got to realise that art would never leave you. Like, you know, we're having this very deep, meaningful conversation. It's really stuck with me recently. I've been thinking so much about it and yeah. how grateful I am for, you know, our friendship, and our, my connection with your work, but also this, my, my connection with art. Can you speak a bit about what art has well, done yeah, for you? Yeah, but I mean, like, um, art, art swaddles you. If, you. if you allow it, art just comes and, and, and cuddles you and wraps itself around you. And I realised this when I, when I was young. I was, I was in a... In, in, a, in Antwerp and I was on my own and I was feeling quite alone and stuff and I went to a museum there and as soon as I walked into, this, into the National Museum of whatever it was and started looking at these Rubens paintings and whatever, I just relaxed. I felt at home. Yeah. <gasps> yep. Oh, I know who I am. <laughs> I'm not, like, yeah, I'm not scared a... anymore. Yeah, same. I'm safe. I'm, exactly I'm safe. The same. Oh, it's kept me safe. It's safe. And... And throughout my life, no matter how low I've got or whatever's happened or whatever, you know, art's always saved me. Art's always been... And um, when I was in 1997, I had my show at the South London Gallery, I Need Art Like I Need God. Um, I, and that came about because I was in Margate walking along the seawall and there were these giant waves. And like, if you know Margate, you know the wave. I mean, it's dangerous, yeah, yeah. like massive waves. And I had a piece of chalk and I wrote, I need, I need art like I need God. And that was it. I was on my way. And I'm not like, I'm not very hideously or strongly religious or anything like that. But it meant something to me because it meant that I knew the value of art. I knew it was my salvation. It's and existential, it, and it always, it's bigger than yeah, us all. Yeah. And it always has been, yeah. you know, and I'm so lucky that I have it. So. Totally. Well, we ask every guest that comes on two questions, which we've asked you before, <laughs> so you know what they are. So we, we ask every guest. So we ask every guest. But, but I would say that we normally ask your art heist, but from this show, if you could steal any monk work from this show and have it to yourself, and the museum would be like, absolutely have it, live with it, what would it be and why? Ooh, um, might have to ask Harry. Um, oh, blimey. Um... Sounding like a clanger, aren't I? Or a whale. <laughs> we can yeah. go look around if you want. Uh, yeah, we just for me. Maybe we should move around a bit, Harry. I think I want... Um, I think I know which one I want. I, I did actually think I might have all the watercolours because then I could hang them all oh, in the room. Oh, that's so rooms. good. They're yes. so good, Love aren't they? That. Yes. Um, I, I, like, oh, obviously, the Defamorat's really good, but she's so miserable. Yeah, she's got... Um, but it's also... I feel like that one's I so really love. I really, really love the old, old lady, the old woman in hospital. I just... Yeah. Actually, and that would look pretty good in my house, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would, actually. That would be very much your taste. And it reminds me a bit of Poor Love, the one of you in the hospital, yeah. the monoprints you did of the hospital drip. Mm. 
that's definitely a big contender. All right, that's number one at the minute. I feel like that's quite unexpected. Woman in Hospital, 1897. But it's kind of quite hardcore, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And then. I think it's Weeping Woman, surely. By the way, if you notice, she's not taking one, she's taking many. I like this. (laughs) This is a haul. Actually, Model by the Wicker Chair, 1919 to 21. Could be, yeah. Yeah. But but she's got a very strange face. Yeah. Very strange body, and that chair is this chair that his sister died in. Oh my god! Right. And he took it everywhere with him. Wow. I saw a video. You took a chair around it. Yeah, I did. Took a chair too. Yeah. Oh yeah. With car around the desert. Car drove around. Exploration of the soul. That was that show, wasn't it? Yeah. More soul. More soul. Weeping Woman, 1907. We've talked about. Yeah, that's a classic. That's classic. But I think it's that woman here on I, the left. That's the one I would take. I love going what? back into the show this yeah. way. That so one. Cool. Is this one, yes. I would take that one. That, for me, feels... Yeah, that's amazing. Kind of, what is the, the golden Virginia? What did you call it? <laughs> <laughs> the golden what? Golden section. That's it. This, for me, feels like it's golden sections all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think, right, I think you're right. I think that's a really Crouching beautiful... Crouching nude. I think that's a really, really beautiful painting. I think it's really good. But I think I'm definitely going to go for the old woman the old woman in hospital, in hospital. Yeah. I love that. amazing mm. well you can have it we'll, sort that out. We will, we'll yeah, share a picture fact, of there's that there's no one here is there's it? no one here so <laughs> let's do it <laughs> yeah, let's do it right let's now let's do it and, and then, then the other question we ask every guest is what is your favourite colour but obviously in the context of this show what is your favourite colour um, my favourite colour is Hague Blue ah. why is it called Hague Blue is it from well, the Hague I don't know what is the colour of this What's, what, co- what colour is this Hague Blue Harry yeah. Hague Blue it's not hate blue, it's darker than that. Have you got like an app that you put on the wall and it says the colour of the wall the Pantone is. colour yeah, is. That'd be a good app, actually. Yeah. So, um, or, or, or else I suppose this sort of... I mean, but this colour's in all the paintings. It's for my paintings, isn't it? Yeah. So, so this is the colour of your couch in your studio you were talking about. It's definitely the teal... It's not even teal blue, though, is it? No, it's not. It's a different colour, but it's you're like right. It's like petrol blue. You've got a new couch in Margate as well, which is a similar colour to this. Yeah, that's teal. That's teal. Oh, yeah, that's teal. Yeah. Well, let's say hate blue. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's very defeating. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we've got that. <laughs> Oh, well, thank well, anyway, you so much. Oh, my God, Lucy. this has been yeah. incredible. No, but did you see, did you see when Kenny interviewed me? Yes. yes. And we he asked it. me about what my favourite colour was, and I said blue. And then I came out with about six different blues. Blues, yeah. <laughs> so I could, yeah. It's the blue spectrum yeah, you the like. Spectrum the blue. umbrella blue. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Love that. Well, it's been amazing. Well, thank you very much for doing this, Tracy yeah. MNRA, CBE. What's the other letters you've got? Oh, I've got RCA as well. Right, of course, yeah. Mm. RCA, RA, CBE. And I'm a Tracy. doctor. Doc, and you, actually, you taught drawing here, so it's quite yeah, a professor. interesting thing to now you're have a professor your show of drawing here. at the yeah. RA. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, you're amazing. Brilliant. For everyone listening, look at our Instagram for images, and then follow Tracy M in Studio on Instagram. Yes, at Tracy M in Studio. And then the Royal Academy website, and then we're going to be post more images and yeah, and book tickets because as soon as the show opens, which is probably going to be early December, there's going to be a 4th, rush. I think something like that. Yeah. You have to come and see this show because. These are extraordinary paintings and they need to be and seen. And it's an amazing show. And if it doesn't happen in London, then go to Oslo because luckily it's going to tour and buy the book, <laughs> which is, I actually down. pre-ordered myself the other day. It's right. now available for pre-order. So you can buy the book as well because the book's a really um, wonderful document of this group of work. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah, cool, thanks. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Big love. Bye. 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 Bye.
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com